Welcome to CB Talks, a podcast from SilverCloud Health, the leading global provider of evidence-based well-being and behavioral health solutions. My name is Dr. Jorge Palacios, and I'm a senior digital health scientist at SilverCloud. In each episode, I explore the science of digital mental health. I'm joined by leading experts, practitioners, and people with lived experience so that through these conversations, we build awareness and empower people to seek out support and services available. In today's episode, we'll be looking at the topic of alcohol and substance abuse. Alcohol consumption is very much part of the social culture where people gather together in bars and restaurants to drink. However, for some people, drinking alcohol has become a dependency for them, and in turn, it affects their life and those around them. I'm joined by Josh Connolly. Josh is a mental health advocate who has appeared regularly on various media platforms. He has also spoken in various schools, the House of Commons in England, and he runs workshops which he calls resilience workshops, aiming to destigmatize mental health. Now, due to the subject matter, this episode contains discussions of substance abuse and addiction, and there is also the use of strong language. So, Josh, welcome to this kind of makeshift studio in London we set up. Thanks for making the trip. Thanks for everything you're about to share, because it's a really important subject. And, you know, I know you speak about it a lot. And, you know, a lot of people have listened to you and obviously been inspired and motivated by you. But um, I just want to start from the beginning and ask you more or less a little bit about your life's journey and how it got you to where you are. Cool. Yeah. Look, likewise, it's good to be in person, right? Doing something like this in person. And I think it's easy to forget the power of how much more powerful things feel in general, right? In life, yeah. to be in person. My story really started when I was around 24, 25 years old. And that was when I'd like stopped drinking alcohol and I'd stopped using drugs as well. Um, and I'd been like free from them for about nine months. And what I found in those nine months for me when I when I stopped drinking alcohol, alcohol, alcohol was the big one for me, is that I was kind of left with myself. Um, and I thought that when I stopped drinking, all my problems would go away because I'd sort of believed that my problem was alcohol. But what I found is, is that when alcohol was taken away, I was left with myself. And I, and I really struggled with that. I struggled with the feelings of overwhelm that I felt. I struggled with all of my emotions, I'd never really, I recognize now, I'd never really faced any of them. And I reached the stage very quickly once I, once I stopped drinking where I, you know, I really felt like I couldn't go on anymore. And I was very lucky that I was able to have an experience with my children that kind of changed everything. Um, and it was from there really that I started to actively look at how and why I found myself in the place that I did. And what I found is that despite sort of always convincing myself that my life was relatively normal or, you know, relatively uneventful. What became clear to me very quickly when I started to look at my life is that I'd sort of struggled for a long time. And actually I'd struggled long before I started drinking. You know, it's interesting that you said that your story started when you stopped drinking alcohol. I love how people, you know, consider their story in chapters and when mm. it really started, you know, wh wh the person that you are now. But I assume there was a catalyst or there was some point in time where you realized that alcohol was a problem or had started to become a problem for you. Do you remember more or less in what frame of mind 
you were when that happened? Well, look, I think to answer the question fully, I grew up in an environment for the initial sort of nine years of my life where alcohol was very prevalent. My dad had a, had a terrible problem with alcohol. So I guess my problems with alcohol started then before I even drank it, right? The impacts that it had on me coming home and finding my dad in the way that he did. So when you kind of take that into my own drinking, which began, I started drinking when I was around 12 or 13 years old for the first time. I think deep down in me, there was always a, a slight sense that I might be like my dad because it was quite obvious to me from an early age that I didn't drink like other people, right? I, 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 I seem to drink differently. However... In what way differently? Um, I think a lot of people will resonate with never feeling like I could stop. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have an off button mm. is, is how some people would put it. Yeah. Um, I was very good at, in other areas of my life at finding control when I needed it, right? So it, it made no sense that when it came to alcohol, what I didn't seem to be able to control was when I stopped it. And I think right up until I quit drinking, when I look back now, the biggest problem was that I didn't know when to stop or I didn't seem to be able to know when to stop, particularly once I had started. I think eventually you couple that with the fact that I didn't seem to be able to not start, right? That's where the real problem came in. But I think for me, I think my first daughter was born when I was 18 years old. And up until that point, there'd been no real consequences for me not being able to stop drinking when I started. Right. Yeah. yeah. But once my daughter was born, and not just when my daughter was born, but once I started becoming an adult, as in working, having to pay bills, the consequences then start coming in, right? You're not showing up at your job on Monday. You're not showing up in the way that you perhaps want to as a father. So that's when I first started noticing. But I, like, it's important for me to say that I think particularly in the culture that we live in, it was very easy to hide that from myself and everybody else. Hmm. When I was 18, 19, I looked like, I mean, I held down a job. I never lost my any work necessarily hmm. because I drank. And because I held down a job and I just about kept up with the bills while simultaneously racking up debt, but, but, but the bills were being paid, right? We had a home. In our society, it was kind of easy to hide my drink and make it look like somebody who worked hard and played hard on the weekends, yeah. right? And so, yeah. so it was easy to keep myself from when I started recognizing, but I do think that I started to have an inkling from probably my mid-teens, but certainly when I was 18, I started to think there was an issue. You know, even in the diagnosis of alcoholism and mental health and things like that, it's there's always a caveat of, you know, it has to have consequences. It has to create problems beyond your mental health, which is, which is interesting to me because what have you hide them for so long? that, you know, it's too late, right? But going back then to what you were saying about you realizing quickly that you couldn't stop. Because like that, that environment in your teens, like there's a lot of people around you and everybody's drinking, everybody's partying. Did you get a sense from your friends or the people around you? Did they ever mention or just suggest that you were doing it a bit more than everybody else? To a degree, yes, but not in a way that it was a problem. In some ways, it was like an honorable badge, right? That I could drink all weekend and, and not yeah. stop, yeah. right? And, you know, to bring it back to the kind of consequence thing again, when I was 18 and I started looking for a job, I don't think I recognized it then, but I recognize it now. I got a job in a factory, right? My first job that I got. One of the reasons for that was because my, my daughter had been born and I had no choice but to get a job. But alcohol was already playing a big part in that, 
right? And you might not see that as a consequence. Yeah, I was already thinking a job in a factory is pretty good because you can go in with a stinking hangover and hide it much easier, right? And so the consequences, I might not have been able to vocalize them at the time, but they were there. And also what it meant was is that the people that I was surrounding myself with in many ways drank the same as me. Yeah. So I very quickly unconsciously surrounded myself with people where my drinking didn't look too abnormal. But what I did notice interacting with my friends is I used to black out when I drank. So I would black out to the point of literally not remembering a thing. But everybody used to say that. Yeah. So I would, we would be like in the pub after a night out on a Sunday. And I would say, you know, I can't, I can't remember anything from last night. And everyone would say, yeah, me neither. Right. But then somebody would be like, ah, oh, but do you remember when we were in this place, in this club at 10? And I'd be like, no, no, no. When I say I don't remember any, like, I don't remember anything. And I, I think that was another thing that I didn't realize until I stopped drinking, that not everybody blacks out in that way. I would black out, you know, and it was scary when you blacked out that way and you didn't know where you was because, you know, I used to fear in the morning that the police could knock on the door and say that I'd been involved in an altercation. Where was I? And I would have to say, I don't know. Yeah. And that was scary. You know, I can relate to that because, and, and this is why I kind of want to dig deep here because I've never thought that I that I had a problem with alcohol to that level. But at the same time, I definitely had a couple of times where I called a friend the next day and said, did I do anything inappropriate last time? Because I can't remember and I just want to make sure, mm. right? So like you said, everybody kind of talks about it. Ha, 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 yeah, no, I blacked out. But I remember saying this to a friend and him then kind of opening up and saying, hey, man, that happens to me almost every time we go out. Mm. And I was like, okay, shit, I'm not quite there, but I'm getting... So it, you start to think about it, right? Like how, you know, reassess and, you know, what's really going on here? Do I need to stop? Do I need to break or whatever? So it's hard to tell because everybody's doing it to some level. Mm. So... Is there any other thing that you remember that made you think or made you question it for yourself? Yeah, look, I think one of the things that we do, I think quite a lot in Western culture is we make like addiction or a drinking problem very like binary. Mm -hmm. So we create these kind of lines that you need to have crossed and you need to have crossed all of them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and then that makes it again very easy to kind of allow yourself to get to the dark depths of addiction before addressing it because you know the whole i don't drink in the morning yeah as long as i don't drink in the morning i'm all right well then it yeah. changes to as long as i don't drink in the morning when i've got work but saturday and sunday's all right because it's the weekend right and then it's like as long as i don't drink every day and then you know so you're not drinking on a wednesday just to prove that you don't have a problem so i don't know if anybody ever pointed it out to me but i did i was starting to make comparisons but often hiding from those comparisons and not wanting to see them or or making the line go further. And that's why I think it's, you know, we should start talking much more about our relationship with alcohol. Because I think when you look at it from that perspective, it's not a case of like you're, you're either an addict or you're not. We can all address our relationship. If you look at any relationship, yeah. if you came to me and said, I'm really struggling at this altercation with my partner last night, like, you know, we've really fallen out. My first thing wouldn't be, well, you need to end that relationship. It might be like, look, do you need to adjust the way you're showing up to it? Do you maybe need to spend a day apart from them? And I think if we can look at our relationship with alcohol like that, it's easier. And also what it allows then is for less defensiveness. Because 
it's also important to mention that if you'd have come to me at 19 and said, I think your drinking's getting a little bit out of hand, I'm not sure I would have said, thank you, I'm going to look at it. I might have said, stop being such a party pooper. I'm not going to go out with you anymore if you're going to drag me down. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's difficult in that sense. I think it's important to highlight that my personal belief is that alcohol is not inherently bad, right? In fact, it can be a great social lubricant for some people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to highlight that because what we tend to do is we have two conversations. There's one where people say, ah, oh, you know, lighten up alcohol. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, you just got to learn to drink properly or whatever. And then the other conversation is alcohol is really bad. Stay away from it. You should never drink it. And actually, I think most people sit somewhere in the middle there, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. My truth, however, is, is that my relationship had reached that kind of level of toxicity where it was unrepairable, where with alcohol in my life, every decision was made around that. Yeah, it was made around making, how do I make that work? It was often at the expense of myself and what I wanted. So that's really important. But when that's consistently happening, then I think that's that's where it becomes a real problem. And that's when I really need to think to myself, do I need to to end this relationship? Or at least start with a trial of separation yeah. done mindfully. I think that's a great start for anybody, right? Is to say, you know, I'm not... And, and it's true for me, by the way. I don't even say that I'm quitting forever, right? I can have a drink whenever I want. But... It makes sense in my life today for me to not drink. Yeah, a lot of people do say, no, no, the moment you decide is that that's it. You're not going to drink ever again, but you'll always be an alcoholic, you know, but you're never going to drink. But you said, you know, maybe again, going back to the relationship analogy, like trial separation, you know, right now in my life, it's not good for me because the moment I take that first sip, it inevitably leads to something unhealthy. Mm. Um, But that doesn't mean that, circumstances could change and in 20 years I could be having a glass of wine you know or you know a beer at the beach and be like yeah this is tasty you know mm. this is nice that's fine that's all I need you know? so that's that's important but you know like you said there are a lot of people who treat it binary when did you decide or was there a moment where it just you just weren't drinking anymore or was there a whole process in the actual run-up to stopping there were like so many different series of events that happened and kind of started to push me towards thinking that I need to stop. Yeah. Right. I had an accident at work. I was in a, I was in a lot of debt when I stopped drinking, when I was coming to the end and I, I had an accident at work and that meant that I was going to be able to clear my debt. And I remember lots of people saying to me, you know, you're going to be able to really sort everything out now. You're going to be able to clear your debt and my marriage had broken down. So you're going to be able to get yourself back on your feet. And I remember my best friend at the time saying to me, when you get that money, you're, there's no way you're paying your debt off with that. And I remember thinking, he's right. Like, if I'm drinking that, there's no way I'm going to just take that money and pay my debt off. So there was things like that. That's just one example. Yeah. But also, I realized that alcohol would stop working. And I think this is like a key thing. When I first started drinking in my teenage years, particularly, and in my, you know, maybe in my late teens and stuff, I had some really good times drinking. Like, it, you know, I, it, when I got it right and I hit the spot, I mean, I had some amazing times, yeah? You know, when you drink just enough. Hit the spot. Yeah, hit the spot. Yeah, right. Everybody knows that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I guess it kind of mm. links to everything. That we said. I started hitting the spot less and less and less. Right. Yeah. And then when I got to my 
like when I was 24, when I quit drinking, that's how old when I was quit drinking. Like I wouldn't, I never hit the spot anymore. And in fact, like I say, I, I recognized a sense of anxiety when I started drinking, like what's going to happen? Am I going to have enough alcohol and all that kind of stuff? I, I remember somebody saying to me, if you can't control it, you'll never change that. And I went to the pub one night in the week and I thought I'm going to go to the pub at 10. It shuts at half 10. I'm going to have two drinks and then we're going to go home and I'm going to show myself that I can do it. And I went to the pub and I had a drink and I remember the panic set in. The pub shuts in half an hour and I I can't. I, and I ended up going out and I went on a on like a bender where I drank for like two or three days flat. And then on the 14th of May, 2012, People that might know, it was a famous, famous moment in football when Aguero scored the last second. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was in the pub and I was supposed to have my children and I had taken them back to their mums who, you know, we had separated because I couldn't handle it. And I was in the pub and I remember everybody going crazy. It went, Aguero, yeah, when he scored. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know if it actually happened like this, but the way that I remember it is that I was sat in my chair and there was just beer going everywhere and everyone was jumping around and like just connection and joy. And I remember just thinking, it's done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You know, just sat in my chair looking around. It's, and, it's like a scene out of a film. Like I'm, it, I'm yeah. picturing it in my mind of the, everyone celebrating that moment. And then you in the middle, you know, in focus, sitting down. Yeah. And thinking what's, you know, what's wrong. Yeah, and that's how it was. I mean, look, the reality is, is that I may be remembering it slightly like a film. And, sure, I, but... and I may have been jumping around with them, right? But I, <laughs> but I remember on that day, that sense of this, like, I'm not, this isn't real. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I can't do this anymore. And I woke up the next day and I, I've never drank again since then so the 14th of may 2012 wow i woke up and i, and I haven't touched alcohol again thank but, god for that goal by girl i think there's a <laughs> there's a reason why you're wearing city colors right now <laughs> you know what's really nice about it is that every year that gets played all over the telly and what will happen this year because on the 14th of may 2022 uh, this year 10 years will be 10 years yeah and that goal will be played out on TV because it will be the 10 years. Oh, there will be articles everywhere. Everywhere. Where were you? Yeah, oh, where you were you? Yeah. Yeah. And I get, I get goosebumps thinking about it. And it mm. comes on the telly and my wife knows that I struggle to watch it without crying. I mean, like the video as well. The manager's going crazy for football fans. I know Joe Hart's got yeah. his arms out like in an aeroplane running yeah. and the crowd's going. And uh, every time it's on the telly, I watch it. And I watch it for a completely different reason to everybody else. And it's incredible. But as amazing as that was, the truth is, is that, like, I say my life fell off the edge of a cliff after that. You know, because I think firstly what happened is, after initial period of like a couple of months where it was amazing, like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't drinking and mm -hmm. no one could believe that I'd gone a, a month and then two months. But that started to wear off. And then all the feelings, you know, I started experiencing what I now know is like, anxiety feelings of overwhelm I, like I, I never knew what I was and, and by the way I used to call anxiety thirst and like I used to call it I need a drink the, the feeling was exactly the same mm -hmm. by the way mm -hmm. um, but I was left with that and I didn't know how to deal with it and it got worse and of course I wasn't talking about it I didn't share with anybody in fact it was the opposite everybody was saying you must be so proud and so I hid behind that yes I'm proud it's amazing yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. said what I was supposed to say I'm doing it for my kids and but, but I couldn't deal with my kids. They used to make me feel so overwhelmed, yeah, because of, you know, they were triggering me left, right, and center. 
And I say it took me nearly 10 years to nearly drink myself to death. I say it took me nine months to nearly sober myself to death. And, and I was very, very close to leaving as well. Like, I mean, I planned, I planned to check out and I went to see my kids. And because I knew what was going to happen, yeah. when I went to see my kids on this, this time, the past, like, was irrelevant. The future was non-existent. And all that anxiety and overwhelm, like, disappeared and disappeared in that weekend. And I remember being so present with my kids. Um, and that's when I kind of changed my mind. And that's when I realized that what I'm struggling with or what I've always struggled with is coming from inside of me. People often ask me, do, do you miss alcohol? And I don't miss alcohol anymore. But I miss the idea of the relationship that I had with it. Right, I miss the idea yeah. of after a difficult day, just being able to drink a glass of liquid and it all goes away. Sure, right. Yeah, of yeah. course, mm. I have to be honest with myself that I miss that. But I think you know, I don't connect my need to escape to alcohol anymore. That doesn't mean I don't connect it to other unhealthy coping mechanisms like sugar, <laughs> for example. Yeah, yeah? so it's yeah, always yeah. there. Yeah, just yeah. a new new relationship yeah, in some ways. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Um. A couple of things there. The first one is you saying um, anxiety, you framed it as thirst, which, you know, as a mental health practitioner and professional, that's interesting because um, that made you, f like, for, there was a quick solution there because, oh, I'm thirsty, so if I drink, then the equal is that my anxiety goes away. Mm. So, you know, it's an easy solution. Anxiety is definitely not easy mm. to fix, right? Mm. So suddenly you don't have that easy fix, you have to find something else, mm. you know? And yes, for some people, it can be sugar. It can be a sugar rush. I think, again, that's something relatable. And and why you're talking about those nine months of sobriety that almost, that put you closer to the end than alcohol ever did mm. is something super important to call out, right? Because yeah. in the end, we all have anxiety at different levels. And we, we all have addiction at different levels in a relationship with it. And it's not just a binary thing. And it's not just until you're like, you know, soaked in your vomit on the street and you didn't know what you did last night. No, it doesn't have to be that, you know. Yeah. Um, it can be, you know, just dealing with that relationship from an earlier stage. You know? Yeah. And I think, you know, what you say about addiction there is like really interesting and important. I always say that actually when you, from a societal level, addiction itself isn't necessarily stigmatized, Right. Only certain types of addictions are stigmatized. Mm -hmm. If your addiction's alcohol or drugs, right, then you might get you might face stigma. If your addictions work, then you might get called a success. Yeah. Yeah. If your addiction is to like sport, yeah, and being an athlete, yeah, then you might get called a role model. Yeah. Right? Because and I if I look at the 10 years uh since I stopped drinking, there was one period where I was completely obsessed with fitness and watching what I eat. I was essentially restrictively eating. Nobody called me out on addiction then. And in fact, everybody said, how do you do it? I wish I could be like that. Yeah. And I'm measuring rice down to the gram and punishing myself in yeah. the mirror because I'm not quite as lean as I should be. Yeah. And, I, and I can tell you that I was doing the same thing as when I was drinking. Yeah. And it was focusing on that so that I don't have to deal with the ways that I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we all sit there on a scale. Yeah. You know, we all sit there on a scale. Sometimes sugar for me gets a little bit out of control and starts to have a negative impact and consequences on my relationships and other parts of my life. Yeah. Sometimes I've done a tub of ice cream that I didn't want to do, but there's no massive consequences, yeah. but I did it because I didn't feel great in the moment, you know? And so there's that scale there. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's going to be people listening and, 
and and w- wanting to hear, okay, you know, how do I tackle it? How do I approach it in my own circumstances? Are there things that you've said that resonates to a lot of people, no matter their different circumstances? In in all your talks and everything, are there a couple of things that come to mind that have really resonated? The first thing is that doing it as a kind of daily thing, right? As in saying, look, I'm not doing anything forever here, but in my life today, it makes sense to make this decision today, right? And who knows where I'll be in 10, 20 years, right? What decisions I'll make then. For me, I guess the life that I've built as a result of not drinking, I wonder if it'll ever, you know, it'll always feel a little bit too risky, you know, I've got married and had children and I've had a very happy home and stuff. So we can kind of speculate, but ultimately each and every day, for me, it makes sense to make a decision not to not to drink anymore. The kind of other thing that I think is really important, really important, as important as the kind of doing it on a daily basis, is finding a group of people that are doing the same thing. Hmm. Because the guy that you've spent time drinking with a lot down the pub, who still enjoys a drink, but has a happy family, but, you know, once in a while goes off and lets steam on a Saturday, will never understand, or maybe one day they will, but in this in the stage that they are in their life, they'll never understand what you're doing yeah. and why you're doing it. Yeah. And so their advice might come from the best of places, yeah. but they're not going to help you, then you know, because they're not going to resonate. So finding people that are trying to do the same thing, a community aspect, I think is one of the most important things, you know, I don't know a lot in life, right? But what I do know is that you, or what I do believe I know is that you won't be able to do it on your own, not solely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, I think that's just great life advice in general. Mm. Um, Speaking as someone who's been around alcohol and around close people who have had problems, um, I remember attending a couple of meetings, you know, AA meetings Mm. as a family member and uh, just going up and, you know, speaking. And for me, it was incredibly emotional. Like I was crying, Mm. like, oh my God, because I couldn't help you. Mm. Right. But that's all I could offer, just love, support, but from a place of not truly understanding. But I saw what you just said. I saw that the people there listening who went to every meeting, like they, they knew. Mm. So there was a cut, they had a couple of inner jokes. Yeah. Like, I remember one guy saying, he just mentioned heroin and, and he's like, you know, I know everybody's thinking about it, that, you know, it, you miss it, right? Because it, it feels fucking good, right? And yeah. everybody laughed. And I'm like, I cannot begin to understand yeah. that joke, Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So all you can do is be supportive. Um, so it's incredibly important that no matter, you know, how strong a support system you have of friends who are at the pub and who are like having a drink near you, but, you know, obviously don't offer it to you, to people who have gone through the same thing. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so that's why I think what you just said is is super. I, I you know I'm not surprised that people resonate with that at all. Yeah, and it is important. And you've touched on something that's really important: is that sometimes the people around you that love you, so partners, family members, they're in the most difficult position to be able to help and support you. Right. That's why community is so important because family and the people that love you can kind of offer love and support but that's about all they can do yeah right and that i think that's a really important point to understand that as much they they can give you all the love in the world right and i guess the horrible thing about addiction is that sometimes in and of itself that's not enough yeah right so you do need more 
Yeah, and, and on that, Josh, again, just speaking on on family members, um, you know, it's um, it's it's funny because my partner is actually a specialist in addiction in, with family members. Oh wow! Um, and so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention also that it's family members who also need help, right? Because it's not easy to be so close to someone who's struggling and yet not being able to help. Yeah, I mean, look, I get a lot of family members that come to me and, and talk about finding hope in the change that I've been able to make, mm. right? Um, you know, on what you said, I believe addiction myself to be a family illness, right? Mm. So I think everybody within the family struggles in perhaps a different way, but in this, to the same level. And I think one of the things that we really need to understand better is that the whole family needs healing or recovery too, right? To the same degree, certainly the children to the same degree that the active drinker does themselves. The one thing that I would say is that often when family members come to me and ask for advice, I think they're often hoping for a little bit more or something different to what I often can give them, right? They hear me talk with kind of love and compassion for people that have struggled with addiction. And I think they want some validation that they need to just be there and love and, val and be, like put their whole selves into the person that's struggling with addiction. And, and often my, my advice is actually more about laying some boundaries, being clear on the fact that compassion and consequence can coexist and that they should do whatever needs to be done to be able to look after their own well-being and hope that in doing so it kind of wears off or has an impact on the person that's struggling with addiction. Yeah. And it's, it's the worst, maybe not the worst, but you know, it's one of the most horrible parts of addiction I think is what it does to the family members and, and what it puts them through because they're so powerless, right? Powerless is a word used in a lot of different spaces when it comes to addiction. And I think the family feel that as much, if not more as, as anybody. For sure. And, and do you think that's also a red flag or alarm bells when you're starting to feel that you're struggling or that it's a problematic relationship with alcohol when people close to you start being affected? Do you think that could be a way for someone to say, hold on a minute, this is not right because it, it's hurting people near? If you're hurting the people that love you the most regularly as a result of your drinking, then I think it's the biggest red flag, right? Hmm. And I think having the ability to recognize that particularly if you're a parent, right? If you start to recognize that, the impact that you're having on your children, you know, there can't be a bigger red flag. And I should caveat that with saying that when I was drinking, I had moments, you know, when I looked around and I realized, I guess, let me give you a scenario that kind of really sums up, I think, the depths of which we can go to when we're drinking. I remember an occasion when I woke up on the sofa, I was, I wet myself, I was in my own urine, right? I, I couldn't remember where I'd been, what had happened. The house looked a mess. My kids weren't there and they should have been and I didn't know where they was. And it was the middle, I, I guessed it was the middle of the day. And to sum up the power of addiction, I checked my pocket and there was 20 pound in my jeans pocket and I went back to sleep. And I went back to sleep in that state on the sofa because I knew whatever happened when I woke up, I'd be able to go and get some alcohol. And I think when you, when you see it like that, you realize that I knew what I was doing. I'd grown up in that environment. 
So I was aware, but I was so trapped in that cycle, just yeah. knowing that alcohol was available the next day or, you know, whenever it was that I would wake up, yeah. was enough for me to feel comfortable enough to go back to sleep and not try and find my kids, yeah. you know, find my ex-wife at the time, find out what I'd done or try and put things right. It was just like alcohol will be there when I'm yeah my priority number one yeah taken care of yeah because i mean that disconnect between i know what's going on i know i'm aware yeah but not caring because in the end it's like you know i can handle it whenever because yeah no i grew up with this i know i know i've seen this i saw yeah. this, my dad so i'm i'm in control in that sense because i know no one needs to tell me what's happening i know what's happening but at the same time, I don't really care. I care more about this 20 pounds. Yeah. Um, when did you think back and say that was a key moment? Or like, was it in the moment you knew? Or when did you go, right, well, that, that was kind of a milestone. That's kind of when I look back. Yeah. When I look back from sobriety and I see that moment and I think, wow, I was able to go back to sleep. In the moment, you're just kind of so caught up in the cycle of it. And I think this is what shows... The breadth of addiction, right? So, like, if you think about the most insane things I did when I was kind of trapped in the depths of it at the end, it was when I wasn't drinking and when everything was all right and I was like, I'm not going to drink this weekend. I'm going to do something with my children. And I would finish work on a Friday and I, in, in my mind, I wasn't going to drink and I would feel like free and okay and it's not going to happen. And then somewhere along the line, from finishing work to getting home, I, I'm in the pub and I'm drinking. And that, I guess, to somebody that's not experienced addiction, just sounds ridiculous, right? You need, you know, why? You just need to control yourself and not go in the pub, right? But that's the reality of it. And that's what shows me that it's way deeper than the substance that I'm using, you know? Because I can also share that alcohol made me feel most alive when I was just about to drink it. As in... Mm -hmm. If I knew I had all day in the pub and I had money in my pocket, I felt most alive when I was walking there. Like, I've got the whole day. I'm just going to be able to, like, drink as much as I want. Yeah. So I've got money in my pocket, right? I'm walking to the pub. I imagine it in my mind, like, the sun is shining, irrelevant, irrespective of the weather, right? But you see that that feeling, yeah. the impact alcohol has had on me, has happened before I've even drank it. Yeah. And yeah. actually, in the end, what I found is that very quickly after drinking it, what I mostly felt was a sense of anxiety of how much I was going to drink and how much I'd be able to get down me in the time that I had. You know, since we're talking about this in kind of universal way and about, you know, looking at others, do you have any insights or advice as to how to identify these issues that maybe for you are now crystal clear or you're a lot more in touch with because you consistently think about it but what if you see it in in someone else and you want to suggest you know reach out find tools that can help you or start to think about this relationship with alcohol in a deeper way i mean are there signs that yeah like signs i guess to in terms of like signs and spotting in other people one of the the key things that i would say is that that inability to see the truth of what happened so, you know, if, if, mm. if you can clearly see that something happened when they were drunk the previous night and they just have a complete inability to be able to reflect on it in a truthful way, mm. I think that's a real good indicator, right? Because what that tells me is that they're sort of 
I don't even know if I like to use the word denial because that kind of suggests that they know and they're hiding it, right? Yeah. But sometimes it's a bit more complex than that. But, yeah. but I definitely think that if somebody has an inability to be able to see the truth of what happened and they're telling themselves a completely different and telling you a different story, I think that's a good indicator. Regular consequences. So like regularly they're drinking, is getting out of hand and they're regularly talking about messing up and going too far. Again, look, I think that happens to everyone. You know, we can all kind of think of a time when you did something and you went a bit overboard, right? But I'm talking consistently, regularly consequences are existing. And then another one is like deep feelings of shame and remorse the day after a heavy drinking session, sometimes even when they may not have caused any problems. For me, that's a like a big red flag, um, right? You know, and then to kind of summarize, like they're three key things, but in a more general way, I do think when we look at addiction, it has a lot more to do with the behaviors and the emotions that surround it rather than necessarily the regularity of how, how often they're doing it or how much they do when they do it. Yeah. Any behavior change as a result of drinking or any kind of feelings and emotions that arise that are really mm -hmm. difficult as a result of drinking if those things are happening consistently then i think they're they're massive indicators yeah so you know it's it's more around that relationship the consequences for the person's mental health and their shift in personality than necessarily external consequences that oh you you got into a fight or you know you lost your job so it's a lot earlier than that which is great because you know that's precisely where a lot of tools and avenues now are starting to exist, including, you know, one that we have for precisely that moment mm. where you you need to kind of talk about it a bit more and engage in that relationship a bit more. Are you finding more resources yourself that are out there that you recommend to people? Has there been a shift recently? I mean, you've you've been thinking about this for a decade, right? Do you think that technology is helping now in you know, giving people more access? Is that a thing that people realize? Or do you think there's a lot of education still that needs to happen? Look, I think there's always more that could be done. But I do think that uh, even when I look at when I got sober 10 years ago, there was no like, you couldn't really, there wasn't an online community that you could mm. find through your phone, right? Mm. And I imagine when I look at those final few kind of months or weeks, when I was starting to think I need to search for something different, there wasn't really many places for me to turn, right? I ended up in a 12-step fellowship originally at the beginning because there was nowhere else really for me to go. So I do think that, you know, the fact that you can now pick up your phone and find a sense of community somewhere, that you can find a platform to be able to start exploring it, that can be the catalyst to go and find the next things, you know, to go and find like people and uh, with the same experiences. I think most people that struggle with addiction will have huge benefit in being able to, go into something on their device, almost like anonymously and secretly at yeah. first to do their own kind of exploring, they may then find the answers and find everything else that they need exactly. in that way. And I think that that can only be positive. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you know how they say about a gateway drug to worse things. This is kind of the opposite, a gateway to positive things. Yeah. Because it's readily available, you know, and it kind of can be the catalyst to find what you need moving forward no, which can include that and other things you know community yeah and i think that group. that's the big thing right and actually to call it a gateway like that's brilliant right because there's no one way here right yeah. but actually if we can create more gateways like that yeah a gateway like that that could be the catalyst for somebody to go and find everything that they need we can't underestimate that 
Like you literally can't underestimate that. And the ability to be able to find it nowadays for a piece of tech on your phone, right? Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's great. I mean, I, I think that's, that's a nice positive note to end with. Um, so, I, I mean, I just want to say this was really, really great for me just to talk to you. It's a pleasure listening to you. Um, anytime someone can share so much, but at the same time be so insightful because they're so in tune with it and so comfortable with doing so, for me, it's a pleasure and it's a, it's a privilege. So thanks so much, Josh. Thank you. For coming thanks, over. Thanks yeah. for creating the space yeah. to explore it in that way. I enjoy it. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I'll celebrate uh, Aguero's goal, even though I'm not a City fan, just for <laughs> that reason this year. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. My huge thanks to my guest, Josh Connolly, for such an open, honest conversation. If you have been personally affected by what has been discussed today, SilverCloud has a program available for free that helps you explore your relationship with substances further. It's available via referral from your GP or select health insurers, employers, or universities. To hear more conversations surrounding digital mental health, you can listen to all previous episodes of CB Talks online. Just find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode in the series, please rate and review CB Talks so we can help others discover it too. I'll be back next time looking at another way in which digital technologies are involved in mental health. I hope to see you then. Mm -hmm.